Thank you, Caitlin. Beautiful. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. We're getting closer and closer toward the end of the book of Mark. We've been in it for over a year and a half now. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 this morning. I love to preach through the Bible. There are several ways of teaching and preaching, but I like to preach expository, meaning taking one book at a time and preaching through it so you can understand the mind of God. God has given us his word, and God has ordained that we learn it, understand it, and be able to teach it to others. So we look at this as a whole this morning in verse number 1 of chapter 13 of the book of Mark. The Bible tells us in verse 1, and as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith to him, Master, we see that what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered, said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another. Thou shalt not be thrown down. And as he sat up upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? In verse 5, Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall see hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places and there shall be famines and troubles. And these are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves. For they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues you shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for testimony against them. And the gospel must be published among all nations. For when they shall lead you and deliver you. Take no thought before you what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given to you in that hour that speak ye. For it, it is, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. But children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And she be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end. The same shall be saved. Gracious Father, we just thank you for, uh, again, opportunity to be in your house, to fellowship with these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, as we look at these things, awful, awful as they may be, troubling they are, difficult to even understand or even fathom the magnitude of the words of Jesus past our comprehension as mere mortals. But God, I pray, God, you give us ears to hear. Remind us of the coming judgment that is coming as certain as we are seated in our chairs this morning. The coming judgment is going to come to pass. But Lord, help us like in any catastrophe that could happen. Be prepared for it, for certainly it will happen. God, help us to know you, to know your word, to know your will, and to warn others while there is the opportunity to warn them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, as we looked at the life of Jesus here, we was looking at chapter 12, the last few verses, verses 41 through 44. Remember, we 
saw Jesus was in the temple and he was looking at that wonderful widow lady that even though we don't know her name, she threw in two mites and Jesus talked about her and how she was willing to give up everything to God. How wonderful a testimony she had has for us even today but as he was leaving the temple he walked out this was remember the passion week the last week of Christ's life before his death burial and resurrection he would live 40 days after his resurrection but before his resurrection uh, he was this there was during this passion week and this was many people believe on Wednesday and he had saw the widow and now he's heading out and he had taught in the temple he had seen this widow and now he's leading out, and one of the disciples stop him and say, how wonderful is this building? And we're going to talk about a little bit about this temple and how wonderful it actually was. But this gives him an opportunity to tell the disciples some interesting things, not just about what has going to happen in their near future, but what is happening now and what will happen in the distant future, even to us today. This is called in the scriptures the Olivet Discourse. You can find it here in Mark chapter 13, also, of course, in Matthew chapter 24. It is, in some ways, one of the more difficult passages to understand because people try to say, this is happening now or this is happening in the past and it's happening in the future. And the, you know what the reality is? It's true. <laughs> some of the things we're going to be talking about is things that's happened in the past. Some are happening right now and some will happen after we are gone from the, gone because of the rapture of the church. So we're going to look at a several aspects of the future events. We're going to get a glimpse into the future. What can we learn about it? First of all, we see what Jesus was saying to his disciples, the smashing of the temple is prophesied in verses 1 and 2. It says, as they went out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Master, we see the manner of stones and what buildings are here. How wonderful this temple is. We see the character of the temple. And as I studied this a little bit, I got to learn some more things about it that I had learned and probably forgotten and probably learned and forget again. But it is a beautiful temple. Actually, this is not Solomon's temple that we read, that we read about in Chronicles or Kings. As you can see the detail of that in the scriptures. But this was one that was actually started by Ezra. If you remember Ezra, he was the one leader during the captivity that after the temple was destroyed, he came back and built another one. And after Ezra began to build this, Herod the Great came and he expanded this temple and took him 46 years actually to do so. And it was completed in 63 AD. This was a magnificent building. Actually, one Roman historian, Tacticus, says, He that never saw the temple of Herod never saw a fine building. So why was it so, what was so beautiful about it? Well, the stones in the building were 45 cubits or 77 feet in length, seven and a half feet tall. And not only that, uh, they were six cubits or nine feet in breadth and weighed hundreds of tons. The beautiful marble pillars were 40 feet high and they were carved out of just one stone. The stones of the temple were massive. The size of the temple was complex. It was huge. About one-sixth of the land area of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It was not just one building, but a majestic mixture of porches, separate edifices, courts surrounding it. 
one of the porches called Solomon Porch was five football fields long. Five football fields long. It was 1,562 feet in length. The royal porch was decorated, decorated with 160 columns and stretched 921 feet. It was a massive, beautiful complex. It was gorgeous and overlaid with gold. What a beautiful sight. So we see the character of this temple and how wonderful it was, but see the coming destruction. Jesus said, here shall not be left one stone upon another and that shall not be thrown down. Well, we're going to read about uh, what the, the Pharisees and Sadducees said because they heard about his prophecy that this would actually happen. And one of the things that Jesus was accused of is that he was going to destroy the temple. But actually, it was going to be destroyed. It was going to be totally, totally wiped out. In 70 A.D., the Roman legion, under the command of a man by the name of General Titus, besieged Jerusalem. It was a horrible uh, besiegement. Many, many people died. It was estimated that over a million people died and 96,000 were taken into captivity. They totally destroyed the temple. And the Roman soldiers tried, after the destruction of the temple, it was burned up and they tried to get the gold that was left from the temple. So this beautiful Ephesus, Ephesus that was in front of them and is grander and was the glory of all of Jerusalem would be destroyed just like Jesus said it would be. Just like Jesus said it would be. So we see the smashing of the temple in verses 1 and 2. But as they ask him, as we looked at in verses 3 through 13, what are the signs of further destruction? And that's when Jesus begins to talk about things that are going to happen in the future. And I want to say to you, these are things that, are, of course, as, you, as we read them, they are happening in a small scale now. But these things are primarily talking about the time called in the Bible, the tribulation. We believe as Christians the next event in God's prophetic book, the word of God, is the rapture of the church. But after the rapture of the church, for people who know Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we're going to look, about, look at it in, in detail here in a little while. But after the rapture of the church, there's going to be seven years of tribulation, judgment on, these, on this earth like there's never been in the history of the world. And you say, what are, what are some signs of that, of that event coming? Well, we see there in verse Three, he talks about it in, in more detail in verse 5. Take heed lest any man shall deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The first sign of, his, of the tribulation, of his coming, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and many shall deceive. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, many false prophets are gone out into the world. And in Revelation chapter 6, one of the seals that were broken says, I saw, talking about John, behold, a white horse, and he sat on him, had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when you first read that, you say, well, here's a man on a white horse with a crown, and he has a bow. That must be Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And Antichrist is coming after the rapture of the church. And he's going to make peace. He's going to say, peace, peace. He's going to deceive so many. He's going to be charming, debonair. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to, he's going to do miracles like never has been done. It's almost since the time of the apostles. And he's going to deceive many 
He is going to deceive the nation of Israel, and they're going to make a pact, a covenant with him. But he's doing this all in deception. Oh, there's been many, many people over the world, and even some right now. I read there was one man in particular after Christ by the name of Simon Bar Choba. His actual name means son of the star. He led a rebellion against the Romans in 132 A.D., and it ended with his death and fierce punishment of the Jewish people in 135 A.D. Interesting enough, and I didn't know this myself, that the Romans so hated this man and hated the Jews for this rebellion that they again totally destroyed Jerusalem and plowed it up, leveled it, and they called it, they called the land of Israel by a different name. They call it the land of the Palestines. You may be heard, you hear it referred to now as the land of the Palestine. Why was it called that? Because if you remember from the Old Testament, who was Israel's number one enemy during the time of David and Saul? The country of the Philistines. And they hated the Jews so much that they called the land after the name of their worst enemy, the Philistines. And they totally destroyed the land. Charles Manson, of course, another person who said he was Jesus Christ. You may have heard of Jim Jones, who deceived many through his deception, saying he was Jesus Christ. I read of another lady by the name of Gabby Hanna, through, recently through social media, came out in August of 2022, claiming to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. There will be many, and there are many now, and there will increasingly be more and more and more people saying they are God or Jesus Christ. We see the counterfeit messiahs, but secondly, we see the commotions and conflict of war in verse 7 and 8. Many shall hear of wars and rumors of war. You said there's wars and rumors of wars now, but it will increasingly be so. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4. There went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat upon to take peace upon the earth. They should kill one another, and it was given to him a great sword. Oh, I was reading again some information about the wars in the past, and one publication said, in the, in the last 3,400 years, there's only been 268 years of peace. In the last 34 years, 3,400 years, only about 8%. It's estimated that 108 million were killed in wars in the 20th century alone. In World War I, there was 14.5 million people killed. In World War II, there were 22 million lives that were destroyed. I read that nine countries right now possess nuclear weapons, and the global inventory is estimated at 13,000 nuclear warheads. According to one export, the warhead on just one U.S. nuclear-armed submarine have seven times the destructive power of all the bombs dropped during World War II, including the two atomic bombs dropped on Japan, just one submarine. And there's at least 10 such American submarines prowling the world's oceans, but not only us who have nuclear weapons on the oceans, other countries do as well. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be commotion. There's going to be natural catastrophes. The Bible says there's going to be earthquakes in divers or different places. I didn't know this, but when I was in Charleston, South Carolina, touring the city, that beautiful city in South Carolina, on 95, the, the tour guide said, is one of the major fault lines in the United States of America. I didn't know that, but there's fault lines all over. 
There's 1,600 earthquakes in the world last year, over 2,000 in the United States itself. In 2021, 2,000, 2,773 earthquakes were recorded just in the Yellowstone area itself. One reporter by the name of Brad Plummer said, lurking beneath Yellowstone National Park, all of you guys who love nature so much, is a reservoir of hot magma five miles deep fed by a gigantic plum of molten rock swelling up from, uh, welling up from hundreds of miles below. Plummer went on to write that this erupted, it could spew ash for thousands of miles, damaging buildings, smothering crops, shutting down power plants. The states of Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Colorado would be buried in three feet of volcanic ash. It said, he said it would make Mount St. Helens look like a hiccup. Some geologists believe clouds of poisonous ash could spread across the United States and Canada with the force of a hurricane. The ash could spread, shred lungs, collapse roofs, take down transformers, and threaten the national grid. It would, could create a super winter that could last a decade. Well, the Bible says there's going to be another great earthquake in Revelation chapter 11, verse 13. It's saying that same hour there was a great earthquake in the 10th part of the city, talking about Jerusalem. And in the earthquake, there were slain 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. Just one earthquake in Jerusalem during this time of tribulation, 7,000 will die. There will be fault lines, they'll be shaking, there'll be famines throughout the world. The Bible says there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. These are, ladies, like the birth pangs that you, you experience before your, the birth of your child. These are the beginnings, the, the, the beginnings of these things that are happening. Famine is throughout the world. It is indicated, one researcher said, that every 3.6 seconds, someone dies of hunger. Every 3.6 seconds. The Global Hunger Index said today's famines are complex humanitarian emergencies caused mostly by armed conflict, exacerbated by natural disasters of international policies. These new wars all over the world will involve not only state armies, insurgents, but also paramilitary and ethnic militia, criminal gangs, mercenaries, international forces. Most new wars are civil wars, which increasingly spill over borders, disrupt uh, livelihoods, food systems, and force people to flee. Famines will be all over the world. The, the third of the fourth horman, horsemen of the apocalypse will be famine. Revelation chapter 6 verse 5, when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he sat on it, had a, a pair of balance in his, on, his hand, on his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And, and see thou shalt hurt not the oil nor the wine. Oh, famine will be disruptive. Especially, especially during the tribulation, there will be deaths, even in the billions. One-fourth of the population of the world during the tribulation will die because of famine. There will be cruelty and confinement we see in verses 9 through 11. The Bible says here in verse 9, Thou shalt take no heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you into councils and send the synagogues, and they shall be beaten, and shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for the testimony in them. Before Christ returns, there'll be a time of, of intense persecution before his second coming after the tribulation. The people during the, during the tribulation, there'll be people actually saved. There'll be people who actually die for the faith, and many of them will die because of intense persecution brought on by the Antichrist. 
We see that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw souls in them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither an image, neither received a mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The word, English word martyr comes from the Greek word martus, which means a witness, a witness. Did you know presently 160,000 Christians are martyred in the world every year? Presently? Presently? Some of you have heard recently about a missionary by the name of Stephen Troll, graduate of Crown College. He was in Iraq, Baghdad, Iraq. Him and his wife and kids living for Christ, for the faith of Jesus Christ. On December of 2012, the Troll family moved to the Middle East to study Arabic and tenure effort in making the name of Jesus great among the nations. He worked in the, at Global English Institute, a, a language school in Baghdad where his wife was the manager. He was killed there in the streets of Baghdad for his faith in Christ. But the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you live for God, even in the United States of America, dear friend, people are not going to like it. On Thanksgiving Day, if you sit across a family person who doesn't know Christ, they might like, not like the fact that you pray in Jesus' name. They might not like the fact that you give thanks. Dear friend, the pilgrims, which we basically, because of their pact with the Indians, we celebrate Thanksgiving, they believed in God and placed their faith in God, and they were persecuted for what they believed in. Persecution is not new. Actually, we live in a bubble like unlike in the United States, especially where we have not seen much persecution. But historically, Christians have been persecuted and will be persecuted for the faith. The Bible says that, that Christians will be betrayed even by their loved ones. Verse 12, now the brothers shall betray brother to death and father to son and children shall rise up against the parents and shall cause them to be put to death. Not only will Christians be treated with cruelty and confined by people who don't know, who don't, who are outside the family, even those within their own family, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, will betray one another because of the cause of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, and he causes both the small and the great and the rich and poor and free and bond to receive a mark on their right hand and their foreheads. And no man shall buy or sell, say he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. During the tribulation, the Antichrist will demand that you take the mark of the beast, which is 666. And without it, you cannot buy or sell. You cannot buy or sell. You will not be able to go to Walmart without the, without, without the mark of the beast on you. You will not be able to go to... You will not be go to your favorite uh, supermarket. You will not be able to shop locally unless you have that mark of the beast. And these things are being put in place right now. What do you think all this stuff has been going on the last couple of years? Well, that's all leading to you have to have this to be able to shop. You have to have this passport to be able to live. What's all these things that are happening in the world and has happened the last couple of years? They're all leading to the Antichrist coming, saying, if you don't take my mark, you cannot survive. And those families where there's not believers, people will give each other up for promotion and for cruelty. There'll be contempt for Christians like there never has been in the history of the world. 
It says in verse 13, It shall be hated all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Oh, dear friend, even in our time, Christianity is being fought against. You realize in Senate, there is a, a law that's trying to be voted on called Respect for Marriage Act, making same-sex marriage legal in the United States of America. And if anybody talks against it or preaches against it or speaks against it, they possibly could be punished. You, think, you don't think the liberals are going to try to use that to say, you preachers can't preach against it. But dear friend, it's not me who says it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. And as long as the Bible says it's wrong, I have to say what the Bible says, no matter what they say in Washington, D.C. We see the smashing of the temples prophesies the sign of his coming, the peril that it will bring. But dear friend, I know it's through all those negative things, it's easy to get discouraged and, and sad. But let me remind you of the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Then even through this time of difficulty, Christians can have great confidence in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Revelation chapter, chapter 7, verse 9, And after this beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and for the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Even through the worst persecution in the history of the world, the people that are redeemed, the church of Jesus Christ, will one day Stand before the throne of God, and the Lamb of God will be there, and we will praise him. We see their count, a great multitude which no man can number. We see their country of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. That's, dear friends, why we support foreign missionaries. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ should not only be in the United States of America. It should go to every tongue and every kindred and every language throughout the world. That's why we support foreign missions. Thank God that we do. Dear friend, no matter what trouble, no matter what trial will come to these people, and no matter what difficulty that you and I endure in these last days, and I believe we are in our latter days as Christians on this earth before the rapture of the church. I love the promise that we find Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. He said, I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, dear friend, remember the security you have in Jesus Christ. On your worst day, I'm, you're saved. On your best day, you're saved. When everything is going well, you're saved. When everything is going bad, you're saved. I love the fact that we have security. In Jesus Christ. 
Aren't you glad today that just because you leave this person, this place, you turn right or left and some old pure, beautiful soul on 39th Avenue cut you off and you say or give some hand gestures that probably you shouldn't have give, you didn't just lose your salvation? <laughs> just because you burnt the turkey, ladies, on Thanksgiving and your husband say a few things he probably shouldn't have said because he didn't learn his lesson from last year? Amen, men. That he didn't just lose the salvation because you burnt the turkey because you said something you probably shouldn't say. Men, whatever you do, don't say it's not as good as mama made it. Don't ever say that. I'm just trying to help you, man. Just trying to help. Just trying to help. Just trying to help. Man, no matter what happens, if you don't get the deal, ladies, on Black Friday and somebody cuts in front of you and takes your parking place and you may not act like a Christian. It doesn't mean you, you don't act like a Christian on Black Friday that you're still not saved on Saturday. <laughs> oh, if you don't get everything you want under the Christmas tree, you don't give somebody else the gift because you didn't get what you wanted to and you act, don't act quite right, doesn't mean you lose salvation. You sell it different. Your salvation's not based on how you act. It's based on who you believe in. It's not based on my character. Amen. It's not based on how I respond to difficult circumstances. It's in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You are secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can have comfort in the future. We are confident in our relationship with Christ, even through difficult circumstances. But we can be, have comfort in what is coming for us in Christ. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to comfort, to guide, to instruct the church of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. We can have confidence in our relationship with Christ, but we can have comfort in that he's coming back to get us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul wrote, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. He's talking to Christians. Concerning them which are asleep, those who are already dead, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so them, all, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord, verse 16, himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And all look at look at verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The folks that are gone on to be with the Lord, your loved ones, your friends who've gone on. When the rapture comes, when Jesus Christ descends from the clouds, is in the air, he's going to blow the trumpet, and all those who are dead in Christ, all those who know Christ but have died already, will meet together in the air. They will first go up. Then we which remain, all of us who are alive still when Christ comes, we will join 
that crowd, that mass of brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord, in the clouds. And the Bible says, we shall forever then be with the Lord. You say, preacher, when can that come? Before you eat supper. Before you walk out that door. Before you get on 39th. Before you head down 75. Before Thanksgiving. Nothing is, nothing, nothing, nothing is standing in the way presently for the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. It can happen today. Dear friend, imagine it happening right now. Imagine it happening right now. Imagine Jesus. Man, we're looking forward to, we're looking for, we're looking for, for Christmas. I'm looking forward to the rapture. I'm not looking forward to the undertaker. I'm looking for the uppertaker. I'm looking for Jesus to come back, and he could come back today. Imagine the rapture happening today. I wonder if he came and he took everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior from this place this morning. I wonder this morning, would you be left here? There's going to be a group of people that are left. And it could be you. You say, well, preacher, I, believe, I, I, I heard about Jesus. Yeah. I've been baptized. Yeah. You walked the aisle, yeah. You shed tears. Maybe you even joined the church. Maybe you gave tithes. Maybe you even given the missions. None of those things save you. The question is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ today? Have you done it yourself? Do you know? You see, it's not a decision that you made at five years old. It's a relationship you have right now. How's your relationship right now? Do you know that you know Christ is your Savior? What are, you doing for, what are you doing for Christ? Are you living for Christ now? You see, dear friend, there's a time when Christ is going to come back. It's going to be in a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be so fast, you won't even, you won't, which barely blink and it's happened. That's why, by the grace of God, we're doing all we can to share the gospel with other people. That's why this coming Christmas time, I encourage you to take little tracks, little gospel tracks that has the gospel on it. I know you ladies are going to go shop. You've already been shopping. You're going to shop more this coming week. And you men. Take one of these and give it to them and say, hey, this is the best news I ever had. I gave it to a guy in Publix yesterday. He thought it was like, I think he thought it was a gift card. I didn't say any different. I just gave it to him and walked off. He looked at it like, hey, thank you. I was like, God bless you. And I walked away. <laughs> he was so surprised. But dear friend, this is worth more than any gift card could ever have. If a million dollar was on the credit card, it would, this would be a whole lot worth it. If a billion dollar was on the, on the visa, this would be more worth it. it. It's worth more than anything. There is the gospel of Jesus Christ which can save a man's soul. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This is the time of the year that even the heathen sing about Jesus. Even the heathen sing about Jesus. People are more receptive to the gospel. This time of year, this next month or so, than they will be the rest of the year. I encourage you to share it. I read about this, this man who was 75, 74 years old. He worked with a ministry called Youth for Christ. His name was John. He was a widower. He had another man by the name of Eli. He was 27 years old, newly married. They were decided to go to Sudan, Sudan to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as soon as they flew into the place, the city, the country went through a military coup and everything was shut down. The airports were shut down. 
He had one contact in the land by the name of man by the name of Sabbat, who was a Christian. And we met with Sabbat, and Sabbat got some other Christians, and John opened the Bible up and began to preach the word of God. Talk about the importance of trusting God through difficult times. And they said, well, how are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to preach? How are we going to tell anybody? But Sabbat knew one man who was the Christian, who was a, he was the administrator of a Christian school. And he contacted that man and said, hey, can we come and present the gospel of Jesus Christ? The man said, I don't know. The country is in turmoil. It's in trouble. But I have these students here, and they may come. They may not come. And typically, when there was a meeting from some visitors from the United States or someone somewhere special, they would have usually like a 100 people show up at this, this gathering. A 1,000 young people showed up. A 1,000. And the administrator said, John, preach Jesus. And he did. And he preached Jesus, and he gave an invitation. And he said, every one of you who want to place their faith in Jesus Christ stand. And 80% of them stood up. And he was like, he was afraid. He, he was so shocked. He said, sit back down, sit back down, sit back down. He said, let me explain it to you one more time. <laughs> and so he went through the gospel again. And he said, bow your head, close your eyes. Now, if you really want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? And you know what? 80% raised their hand. 80% raised their hand. He said it this way. God moved circumstances and people putting us in places we could not imagine is almost like well-placed chess match. And God won. And God won. Dear friend, let me say, sometimes in life it looks like God is, has this huge chess board. And he's making a move and the devil's making a move. God's making a move and the devil's making a move. But let me tell you, dear friend, the battle's already won. <laughs> God has already won the victory. We are conquerors in Christ Jesus. I wonder this morning, are you part of that crowd? If the rapture were to happen today, do you know that you would go with us to meet the Lord in the air? Oh, what a happy day that's going to be. No more sin, no more struggling, no more trial, no more problems, no more pain, no more problems. Oh, what a wonderful day that's going to be. But dear friend, it's not going to be forever, for everyone. It's only going to be for those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I often hear people say when they die, oh, we're going to man upstairs and we're all going to go, we all going to be together in heaven. That's such a lie. There's going to be millions and millions and millions of people who believe the lie that all of us are going to go to heaven. But dear friend, that's a lie. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. But thankfully, the Bible says that in the midst of our sin, God commended his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we'll, if we'll confess and fail, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Has there been a time in your life where you recognize the fact that you're a sinner and couldn't save yourself? And you didn't look to yourself to somehow think you were good enough or uh, you were a Baptist or a Christian from something your mom or dad said, but you really really placed your faith in Christ alone. I have no doubt in every church in all of America and all the world, there'll be people who thought they were on their way to heaven, but they weren't. 
They, they, blazed their, they, they, they based their salvation on a decision or something mom and dad said to them. They didn't base it in the truth of the word of God and the promises of Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? And further on, are you living for him? If you were to meet Jesus Christ today, would he be glad how you acted last week? Or would he be sad how you acted last week? How we live this life, dear friends, matters for all eternity. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. We thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. We thank for the salvation that's so rich and free that's available for every person. Not based on background, not based on race, not based on color, not based on language. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you that we can be a whosoever. With head bowed and eyes closed, maybe someone in this room say, Preacher, if the rapture happened today, I don't think I would go to heaven. I've had doubts lately. I'm struggling with it. I'm just not sure, but I want to be sure this morning. I really want to be sure. I want to know if Christ came back in the clouds and called his children home, I would be among that number. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this morning? I need. I, 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 would you pray for me? Nobody's looking around, friend. It's just me and the Lord. Preacher, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all this morning? I'm just not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven if I died today. I'm not sure I'd go be with the, the church if, the, if Christ called us home today. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? Say, preacher, I know I'm saved, but I've not been living like it. If I was to meet the Lord today, I'd be ashamed of my activities. I'd be ashamed of my attitude. I'd be ashamed of my actions recently. I've not been living like a Christian. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But I've not been living like it. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all be honest this morning? Anybody be honest? I'm struggling in my Christian life. From time to time, dear friend, we all struggle. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how many more times you get back up. Preacher, I'm just struggling in my relationship with Christ. The Bible says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's stand to our feet as the music plays. If you're here this morning you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love for you to come. If you're a man, Brother Clayton would take a Bible for the Word of God, show you how you can be saved. If you're a lady, my wife would love to take the Bible and show you from the Scriptures how you can be saved. If you're a Christian and you say, Preacher, I've just been struggling recently, maybe through persecution or problems or difficulties in your home, financial, marital, whatever they may be, sometimes we just need to say, Lord, I'm, I've been struggling. I need help. Would you come? The altar's open this morning. Would you come and ask the Lord to help you?